Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. It's not often that we go on location for our open house interviews. They are the extra special ones, like my next guest. So get ready for this list of accolades. She was ranked the world's top tennis player. She won an astonishing 62 Grand Slam titles and became the first woman during the Open Era to win the singles Grand Slam. That's all four major events in the same calendar year. She's one of only three players ever to have achieved a career box set of Grand Slam titles and had a career match-winning percentage of 91.74%. She also shares the record of the most Grand Slam singles titles as a mother with Kim Clijsters. Since retiring, she has been inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame and is regarded by some as the greatest female tennis player of all time. Today, she is the senior pastor at the Victory Life Centre in Perth, Margaret Court. And I'm so pleased that she joins us now on Open House. Margaret, welcome. Thank you, Lee. Nice to be speaking to you. It's great to meet you. A privilege. When I list those accomplishments off to you, what do they mean to you? Well, it's a long time ago and, uh, you know, I don't really think about it anymore until somebody like you interviews me or speaks to me about it. I never really think about it anymore. My life is so busy in a different field today, but it was a part of my life that I loved and I enjoyed. I always knew it was a talent and a gift from God, even as a little girl. So what I did, I, I really enjoyed it. How young were you when you embarked on this career? Well, I started out playing at about the age of eight or nine. I was from Albury, New South Wales. My first racket was a paling off the fence and my family had <laughs> had no money and so a friend of the family saw me uh, hitting up against a wall and gave me a big old racket with a wooden handle and wooden grip. It didn't even have a leather grip and I remember putting transfers on it because I wanted to pretty it up. And uh, so I started at nine, had a very good coach in Aubrey and happened to live across the road from 24 grass courts. Did you have any view of the future of where you might want to go with this or was it just fun at the time? Well, in those early years, uh, I was a good sports person. I played cricket and football. I was a tomboy and there was eight boys in our street and I was sort of the leader of the gang. And living across the road from 24 grass courts, I wonder sometimes if if I hadn't done that or lived there, would I have ever played? But I did have a very good coach and he uh, saw the potential that was there with me. At the age of 13, some of the old-time pros came through our hometown and one of them happened to say to me, you know, you could be the first Australian woman ever to win Wimbledon. And somehow that goal dropped into my heart. And so I started to win a lot of country age championships and schoolgirls. And my coach said to me, well, you either got to go to Melbourne or Sydney. And that was at the age of 15 to further my career. And he approached a coach in uh, Sydney and he said, no, she's too skinny, scrawny, she'll never make it. So he approached Frank Sedgman in Melbourne. And Frank Sedgman had a look and said, well, we have to build her up. She's pretty skinny. And so he sent me to gym in one of his gymnasiums five mornings a week and then put me with a tennis coach. And so from there on, I went into a gym five mornings before the men would come in there and developed and trained. And I had awesome people who sowed their life into my life. 
And you were very prepared to go along for the ride. Ambitious? Well, I had that goal in front of me. I loved it. I loved all the training. I loved the gym. I loved the practice. When Frank Sedgman wasn't on the professional circuit, he would hit with me. I had Stan Nichols, one of the best gym coaches, probably. He was before his time in this nation. He trained Olympic athletes and footballers. And, and then I had Keith Rogers, who was a state boxing champion. He uh, taught me a lot about footwork, and he was also a, a state tennis player. So I had these people who, that were sowing their life into me. I surprised myself, I guess, that I went on the circuit and won the Australian Open when I was 17, and I wasn't even seeded. So the first Grand Slam, talk me through that. We played at uh, Milton in Queensland, and, and that, uh, that would, was back in 1960. Maria Bueno was out here, number one in the world, and Christine Truman, number two. And I happened to be not seeded, and I played Maria Bueno in the quarterfinals and beat the number one in the world. Then I went on to win it, so I was a national hero overnight. I wasn't really ready for it. I was this country kid. Everybody now, we had a future Wimbledon champion. So, And when people said to you, you could be the greatest female tennis player that Australia's had. What did you think about that? Well, back when you're starting out, I don't think you think like that. I guess it wasn't really until I finished tennis that I even knew what I did. It wasn't until they started to do statistics for television and things and what you'd won. I had no idea what I'd won. And then they added them all up and I was more surprised than they were. (laughs) You just took it in your stride. I mean, You love the game, you do the game. The only thing I didn't like about the game was all the travelling away from our nation back then for 10 months of the year. Alongside this was your Christian faith. You were brought up in a Roman Catholic church. That's right. Well, I always went to uh, church on Sunday. I knew people say to me, why are you so good? I say, it's a gift from God. Even I'd say that to the press. But I used to go to church every Sunday and it was... Probably in the early 70s, I retired for two years in 1966 after Wimbledon in 65. Went to Perth to hide because nobody knew me (laughs) over there. I was very well known in Melbourne. And so I went over there, said never picking up a a racket again, but I played squash. Got to two in the state in squash. Came back after I was married in those two years, didn't pick up a tennis racket said to my husband, why don't we go overseas for one year? So we went on tour. That first year I was back, I got back to number one in the world. So then we travelled on and then I used to go to church every Sunday and I remember going to church in France and they were speaking in Latin and French, couldn't understand a word. And I more or less said, God, where are you? I know you're there, but I thought he was in the sky somewhere. That year went on to America and friends we always stayed with she was going off to all these meetings and so kept giving me these books and I'd put them in the rubbish bin. I said, I think she's become a religious nut, but she gave me one little book about accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. It didn't mean a lot to me, but I came back to Perth and a very good friend of mine had become a Christian while I was away. And I said, that's interesting. I read a book on that. Went along to a meeting with her and uh, I knew they had something I didn't have. And I went forth and gave my heart to Christ. And I knew that day when I invited him into my heart, said that wonderful prayer of salvation when you believe in your heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I shall be saved. And I knew if I died that day to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
And that was so real to me in that time. And I went back on the tennis circuit after that and people say, what is it about you? You've changed. I said, I don't really know, but I gave my heart to Christ. I know if I die to go home and be with the Lord. It's been like that ever since. What was the perspective that all that cast over your tennis career? Well, I went back on tour uh, for probably about another five or six years after that. I had a baby. I came back, but always had goals. I wanted to be the first uh, Australian to win Wimbledon. I wanted to win the Grand Slam, which I did in 1970. Came back, and then I wanted to be the first mum to be number one in the world. As I started to understand it more, it was better I didn't understand too much at that time because I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible very much. But I knew Jesus lived on the inside of me. I sort of then started to learn a bit more and think, well, how can I hate and how can I love? And not realising from the scripture side that it's the most wonderful gift. God gives us gifts. You know, I sort of kept playing. But then after having the first child went back, got back to number one in the world, then I had a second child and went back again. And after I went back the second time, I thought, I had, my heart wasn't there. I had no more goals. So I said to my husband, Barry, I said, time to give it up. I said, or otherwise I'm going to go down the drain because there's no passion there. And so we could have gone to America, probably made a lot of money in America, but decided we love our nation and we came back to our nation. It's great wisdom in quitting while you're ahead. You went on to win 62 Grand Slam titles, as I said. How much of that was physical? How much of that was mental? How much of that was spiritual? It was all three, really. I didn't know much about the spiritual side, uh, but I used to pray to God every night uh, and ask him to help me. I knew, look back over my life, I know that protection was there at times when I look at certain circumstances and situations. Tennis is a very mental uh, side of it. Uh, We didn't have psychologists or psychiatrists back in that time. You had to believe in yourself. And I was very fortunate to have wonderful mentors who, when I was playing and I was down, I could really sometimes hear their voices saying, you've put the training in, you're the best, you should never lose. And I could hear their voices. And how many times I finished up, I was down, and then I won because of that. And uh, I think, you know, there's the mental, the spiritual, the physical. Well, I knew I was fit enough. And I knew with all the weight training, everything I'd done, uh, I was probably one of the fittest in the world. And I used to, my coach would say to me, particularly with the French, we didn't have clay courts in Australia at that time. We had Entrecar in Melbourne when I trained there. He used to say to me, well, if you can hit the ball over 100 times in a row... He said, you'll beat any French girl or any European girl on clay. And, you know, I would get to 92, and if I missed it, he'd make me start all over again. So I knew I could out-rally people. Probably I had one of the best volleys in the world. And uh, I just knew if I could last there, play them, and the strategy side of it. And because that's where that mental side comes in also. So I believe all three of them go together. Did anyone at that stage caution you against playing while you're pregnant at such a high level? When I fell pregnant, I didn't even know I was pregnant. And uh, because in those times, travelling, you'd miss periods and things, and I didn't even know I was pregnant. Back then, when I was playing, I had a few beers, and I remember playing in the Wimbledon final against Yvonne Goolagong, 
And I didn't know I was pregnant. I was missing these balls. The balls were, they were falling in the court. And I'm thinking, there's something wrong. And my timing didn't feel right. And everything seemed to be wrong. And I had never lost to Yvonne. I'd always played very comfortably with Yvonne. Anyhow, I lost that. And I remember going on to Ireland to play a tournament after. And I said, Barry, something wrong with me. And my coordination's all out. I don't know what it is. Doctors had checked me. And then one day I went to have a beer after playing and I said, it tastes dreadful. And something clicked with me and I said, you know, some people you think things taste funny or smell funny to them yeah, or sure. something. And that was how I realised I was pregnant. I didn't keep playing after that. No. Um, you know, I was one of the fittest people in the world and you're Wimbledon final and you're just over three months pregnant. So uh, I stopped, I didn't keep playing. Tell me about the juggle of taking a family on the road with you to these major tournaments around the world. Well, Daniel, the first, when he went with us, our first child, we didn't take a nanny or anything. It was just Barry and I. He went everywhere uh, with us. And I was never one for cocktail parties and things. I had to do press things with Virginia Slims and that. But he went everywhere with us. That was easy. But when we had two, uh, we took a nanny with us for a while and... Uh, I tell you, everywhere we went, we needed two taxis. We couldn't all fit in one, so it made it a bit harder. But it was in open tennis time. The early part of my career was amateur days. 60, 1967, uh, open tennis came in. It was much easier because we spent a lot of time in America. So with babies and that, that was easier. It was more difficult when you went to Europe. And uh, so you had disposable diapers, all that sort of thing back then. So that made it a lot easier for us. On Open House, we're with the famous and fabulous Margaret Court. Margaret, when you look back on such a career, are there a couple of standout moments that stand out more than most? I think one that will always stand out to me because two other times I'd won three out of the four majors in one year and missed one of them. Uh, 1970, I don't know what it was, but I just felt that was the year I had a good chance of taking the Grand Slam out and I got to Wimbledon and in the quarterfinal of Wimbledon I slipped and tore the ligaments in the ankle and so I pulled out of the mixed and the ladies doubles and uh, the doctor there who I knew quite well was a Harley Street specialist he said you know we can put an injection in your ankle you won't do any more damage I'd never d done anything like that before and he said you can play so I got through the semis then in the finals, he said it will, the injection will last two and a half hours because we didn't have breaks or injury things or anything like that back when we were playing. In those early days when we were playing, we didn't even have a seat to sit on but between changeovers. It wasn't until television came in. So he said it will last two and a half hours. And uh, so Billie Jean and I were in the final and back then you didn't have tiebreakers and I won the first set 14-12. And then the second set went to 11-9, and it was two and a half hours. So I knew if it went to three sets, I wouldn't have won it. So that was the year then after I won Wimbledon, I went on to win the US. So I, oh, that match, because it was very electrifying, I had an ankle thing. She had a bit of a problems with one of her knees. It was just a very tense, you could sense it. And most people always say it was one of the best Wimbledon finals they'd ever seen. And alongside that... How would you say your faith was sustaining you through that time and the perspective that it gave you? 
Probably I didn't back in 1970 know Jesus as I know him today uh, because it wasn't until 71 that I became a, a born-again Christian. But he was always somehow there with me. I used to think sometimes I can't go on, but sometimes it was like a strength or a, an inner capacity or something you think it just came from somewhere else so as a spiritual side and I think a lot of top athletes would know that because they're very sensitive people and I think they know that sometimes there's this whether it's spiritual or you don't understand it but there's something there where there's a strength that you can draw on and uh, it's like a second wind as you would say so I, I always drew on him even in my early years and just prayed to him in my own way in a very simple childlike way uh, but after I became a Christian um, I started to know him in a completely the reality of him coming to live within me and not being out in the sky somewhere. Take us through the process where you go to Perth and set up your own ministry. I started to explore some things and uh, with Christianity and uh, I wished I could say was all well, but in would have been 1979 through till 83, uh, I went through hell here on earth. I finished up with a torn valve of the heart, depression, insomnia. Uh, life became a bit, a bit of a mess. I had these four little children under eight. Barry, we owned a farm, and Barry would be going to the farm and back. And I couldn't see a, a way out of it. I knew Jesus healed today. Uh, I knew... Uh, about him, but I didn't know a lot about the scriptures. And it's very interesting because two businessmen came to me and said, Margaret, why don't you come and hear something on faith? And I thought, no. And then they said a man's name called Fred Price. And I remember when Barry and I, and I was playing team tennis in America, uh, we went along to a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And back in that time, Barry had bad ulcers and they asked me would I give a test to me how, how I came to be a Christian. And I said yes, and I got up to get, just give my little test to me, and Fred Price spoke, and Barry and I just sitting and listening, and Barry wasn't even a Christian. And he said to me two days later, I believe I've been healed, and he's never had ulcers since. So when they said that name, I thought, Fred Price. I thought it was very much he spoke the good news. So I, I started to go and listen to some things on faith, and... Uh, then in Perth, they opened a, a Bible training centre. I started to go and listen, and it was in the second year of Bible school because I was on medication. They said I'd be on medication for heart trouble for the rest of my life, and, uh, and I was on depression, and, and I was on tablets for insomnia. But in the middle year of Bible school, in the second year, I knew I was totally healed and never had tablets since. And so it changed my life. And then I was in a church there for many years and the children were growing up. And I really, I didn't go into ministry until that was back in 1983 in Bible school. I didn't go into ministry and I started Margaret Court Ministries in 1991. I was ordained. But I didn't start Victory Life Centre, the church, until 1996. And so the children were grown up by then. And I felt uh, I didn't want to be a pastor. And I was praying because I was doing a ministry around the city of Perth and teaching people how to live victoriously and family and renewing your mind and all sorts of things. 
And I just felt one day the Lord said to me, I wasn't doing anything spiritual. I was standing at the sink praying, and God sent somebody to pastor so I could send what I'd learned because the church where I was had gone in a different direction. I said, to send somebody to teach the same teaching. And I just felt, I just had a knowing, and he showed me the picture of two ministers that I went to Bible school with, uh, told me to invite them to come into ministry. They had works in Albany and Bunbury, and they'd been pastoring for 10 years. I phoned them, said, just pray, don't say anything, but this is what I got. Then they both phoned back and said, we believe it's God. So that's how we started out now nearly 16 years ago, and uh, it's just grown and grown, and we put out now 13 tonne of food a week into Kwinana and into Perth where we are, and help people, and we have an international Bible training centre. We have missions, works in 13 nations, and, uh, you know, and the, all the community work that we do, um, we're full bore, full, full on and very busy. Has it surprised you how that took off and the mark that it's made in such a relatively short period of time? Well, we started in a little sort of amphitheatre and then we went into the showgrounds because we needed another place and we had to get out there because the show was coming and then we found this building and uh, we just sort of built into that and then and it just grew and it grew and the International Bible Training Centre's grown and then the, all the community side of it. Um, I guess so. We're probably on our partnership thing. We have about 2,500 people now and uh, we know the grace of God's on it. I do because I look back sometimes and I think, well, I had a tennis racket, but I don't know how all this has happened. <laughs> so you know, you know that I think as you, I always feel you bless community and God will bless you. So we've, we've been very blessed and I have a great group of people and husband that's encouraged and he did encourage me in my tennis and he's stood with me and we've been married 45 years uh, this year and we've got eight grandchildren under eight and got a wonderful family. So uh, I've just seen God's scriptures and the power of the word of God work and, and change lives and do what he's doing. What do you think it is about that work of God or the work that you have done through this ministry that has enabled it to grow as it has? I think you just love people and help people and help people to overcome because the power of the scriptures of the spoken word is so powerful and when you get it into your heart he said you know that the word is nigh thee even in, the, in your mouth is the word of faith that you preach and the love of Jesus Christ and he is the word because Psalm 1720 said he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions and and uh, you, it doesn't matter what people are going through whether it's marriage whether it's healing or the mind uh, we get a lot of people because I overcome depression we get a lot of people coming in that area I have somebody that teaches that area now and you know, he's 80 years of age and it's amazing. He looks about 70. He hasn't been sick for 40 years. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us and makes alive our mortal flesh. And we find that he's living on the inside of it. We, we speak that scripture because we really are spiritual beings because uh, we know that our flesh, when we die, is either cremated or goes under the ground. But our spirit goes to be with God. And so as you feed that with that spiritual book, which is the most wonderful book, it becomes health to you, it becomes life to you. I only wished I'd known 
when I was playing tennis. Yeah. I would have won six Wimbledons, not three. <laughs> Are you still following the tennis? I follow the tennis. I still play tennis uh, once or twice a week and when I'm not travelling. And, uh, you can still find opponents. Uh, yeah, no, I've got a friend. That's why when I went there uh, to Perth, I stayed with her family and she's getting ready for the World Veterans. So we play together and then there's a couple of guys uh, that we play with also. So, uh, no, it keeps you fit. And it's a game you can keep playing, you know, right up until long life. And so uh, I enjoy it. I'm very impressed. You were inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. It says, for sheer strength of performance and accomplishment, there has never been a tennis player to match her. Do you ever pinch yourself and say, oh, that's me? Well, I look back now because my life is so different. I think, did I ever really do that? <laughs> it's not until I go over to the Aussie Open or Wimbledon or somewhere, I think, yeah, I did play here once. <laughs> great stuff. I it's a pleasure and privilege meeting you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on Open House tonight. Thank you. Great speaking with you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.